want to start your own podcast about sports or whatever? Great. Unsure how to get started? No problem. That's what Buzzsprout is for. Podcast uses Buzzsprout. It's quick and easy. And myself and thousands of other podcasters around the world use Buzzsprout. You'll get an awesome looking website. Plus your show will be out on Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, and all other platforms. You'll also get ways to promote the show, detailed analytics and stats, and a whole lot more. But that's not all. If you signed up with a paid plan for Buzzsprout, you'll get a $20 Amazon gift card. And it would also help support this show. It's easy. Just follow the link in the show notes. Buzzsprout makes podcasting fun and easy. Start your own today. Do you want to win some cash? Do you love sports betting? Then Bet99 is the place for you. It is a Canadian online betting website and app that allows you to bet on football matches or matches of any other sport. It also has an online casino. Bet99 is the official betting sponsor for the Terminal City FC podcast and the Area 51 Sports Network. Go to the Area 51 website, click betting, and sign up for a welcome offer of a 100% match up to your initial deposit of $600, as well as boosted odds for the teams that you care about the most. Bet99.com is Canada's premier place for sports betting and online casino games. Must be 19 plus to play, and please play responsibly. Terminal City FC Podcast, talking Whitecaps, Canada, Europe, and all the big stories across the world of football. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 49 of the Terminal City FC Podcast, part of the Area 51 Sports Network, Josh Ray, joined alongside Nathan Durek, as per usual. And we got another jam-packed soccer show here. But of course, we're starting with the Vancouver Whitecaps, who beat the Seattle Sounders for the first time since April 14th, 2017. And just like then, it was a 2-1 win at BC Place over Seattle. Yeah, and on top of that, it was uh, Bruin from uh, the Sounders who scored in the 89th minute of both those games to make it a little bit of a nervy ending. Yeah. Like, what are the odds of that happening? Yeah, someone's got to look that up. Yeah. It feels like we are living in this simulation. Yeah, but when you talk about this game, I mean, I think what really struck me of this Sounders game is the Whitecaps came out on the front foot right from the very first minute. And that's something that we don't normally see from this team. We see a team that usually is tentative coming into matches. That wasn't the case here. They, I mean, that first 10 minutes was actually pretty exciting. Oh, yeah. They, I mean, this team has had slow starts, but this game, even though the playoffs aren't really possible now, they, they aren't really focused on that. They're more about taking one game at a time and... They knew that when Seattle comes to town, things get hostile, and they played well in in that game, especially in the first half. Same formation as the LA game, the four two two two, though it could technically be a it's technically a hybrid version of the back three, except especially when they're attacking, but when they defend, there's four at the back. Yeah, it's one of those positions that with uh, with Ryan uh, Gold kind of sitting uh, more towards the uh, like in the formation uh, that we're given more on the wing is he does cut in and he does play into that more number ten role uh, that he's more suited for, which allows Martins to to go up during the attack, but then also drop back into the back four during the defensive phase. Uh, it's something that Sertini had kind of played around with before, kind of what he called the back three and a half. It seems like it's kind of starting to make its mark. Uh, whether that's in terms of personnel, uh, playing uh, Nowinski and Martins in positions that they're more, you know, comfortable with, I'm not too sure. But it's giving that stability at the back while allowing for fluidity and creativity in the in the attacking phase. Yeah, 
like um, Luis Martins barely played like with the back three, and Vanny Sartini said after the game that he's more suited for the four two two two, which which um, was put on display because unlike in the LA game, he was actually learning to pass forward, and he has such a good vision with the ball, like he knows where to find find his guys. He's a decent crosser when he gets in positions where he can cross. Sometimes the difficulty is getting into those positions in the first place. But we did see it on display in the last couple of games. Not even in the Seattle game, but the one before. He had a pretty uh, excellent uh, assist off uh, Vite's goal. Yeah, speaking of Vite, he scores, again, two goals in two games for the young Ecuadorian. A It was started with Martins, then he gave it to Gold. Gold nutmegs the Seattle defender and then finds Vite, who just... Put it past Fry. Yeah. And another good game from him. And you know what? That goal, it, it reminded me a lot about of the goal that he had in the game that was previous because he was the second man in the box, right? In the first the in the, the first game, Brian White uh lets the ball go by, Vitae's behind him, which means that he's completely unmarked, easy tap in. In this game, there's another white cap player that goes for the ball. He's a few yards off of it, so it goes past him. Vite is the second man in. He's able to pick up what gets missed. Easy tap in. He's understanding, you know, when you flood that box, when you have other options for people who are crossing it in, things happen. And that's how yeah. both goals have happened. Yeah, he finds his way into the box. And Vite's best aspect is his speed. And on, like, the counterattacks, he can get into the box really quickly because he is a fast player. You know, he just he seems right now to be playing with a little bit of a weight off of his shoulders. And I think a lot of that is starting to listen in training, starting yeah. to train how he was asked to. And that's allowed him to get, uh, you know, onto the starting lineup. I find it a lot really funny where people are, are now asking, well, why wasn't Vite starting back here or back here or back here? It's because he wasn't doing these things. Yeah. He... I mean, that's the simple answer. He wasn't doing what he's doing now. Now that he's doing it, he's getting those starts. Remember, like, Vanny Sartini said he lacked intensity. And in those first few games that we saw, that that was absolutely true. Like, Vite was one of those guys that I genuinely wondered what he was doing on this club. Now I'm understanding it. Right, and now he's here. And and also the, the formation thing. Like, he, he suits, he's more suited for this type of formation than a full back three, for example. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, Pedro Vita is number 10. I mean, it's, and if you're going to be playing with two, he, he's starting to find his, he's starting to find his own position alongside Gold. Having yeah. uh, two back to back games where he's been able to do that is also allowing for some consistency. Um, I expect, I expect to see him when we uh, see the team again on, on the first. Oh, yeah. 100%. And I guess part of it is for Vita. Like, he's a young guy. This guy's only 20 years old. And, he left his home country, barely speaks English, and he's learning not just a new system, but he's trying to adjust to a new country, a new city. And I think that was part of his struggles. And let's not forget, he's only been here a year, and he barely played last season. Yeah, there was a lot of that. And, I mean, he he admitted uh, that being homesick definitely contributed a lot to kind of that those outside influences of what was uh, affecting his game. Uh, I think a lot of it is having players at the club that he has been able to talk to. That's gone a long way to help and a, a long way to help kind of create that sense of family for him at the club. But, uh, you know, those are little things. You know, he's. I think he's also starting to take a lot on himself to improve. A lot of... Which is, of yeah, which is a good thing. Before. Yeah, like he knows... he. He he didn't take it personally when Vanny said he lacked intensity. He no, used not his at all. motivation. I mean, I in some way he just, did, but yeah, like in a, but, but not in the way like he wasn't sulking about. It. He like he knew that he had to step it up. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of uh, other uh, pretty uh, good goals, what about uh, Julian Gressel? Oh yeah, like you and I, that's like the best goal we've seen live, like live from the press box. I mean, Luis Martins it looked looked like a corner, but it was a long throw in from Martins. The ball found its way to Gressel on the volley, and very similar to, well, sort of similar to Benjamin Pavard's goal against Argentina in the 2018 World Cup, Gressel's volley just went past Fry, and that was that is definitely the Whitecaps' goal of the season. Yeah, it's got to be right now. You know, it's kind of interesting. The Whitecaps have a number of players that are more than capable of these long throws. Martins is just 
one uh, of many that have kind of added to it. We've seen Tristan Blackman do it. We've seen Jake Nowitzki. Jake Nowitzki We've yep. seen uh, Javain Brown. I mean, they're able to throw it almost halfway across the pitch and into areas that are very, very dangerous. Martin's ball was thrown in right into the middle of the 18-yard box, and it got headed out. But, I mean, there was danger even before Gressel got that ball. I mean, Gressel's goal, it's kind of audacious. It's not, I, I don't think it's a goal that even Gressel would be expecting normally to do himself. Yeah, like, we talked to him after the game. He said he, wasn't re- he just wanted to get it past the goalkeeper, and he did. He yeah. wasn't really aiming for, like, the corner. He was just trying to get it past the goalkeeper. When you're taking a volley yeah, off that when it's coming off and you're taking it off the kind of the top part of your foot. And he said as well as like, I'm just trying to make sure that it hits flat on the foot and not just a little bit lower or higher. Because at that point, you're either going, you're drilling it into the ground or you're skying it 10 yards over the net. Yeah, like volleys are a lot harder to do than you think. Like if yeah. you pl- actually played soccer, they're, they're hard to do. <laughs> yeah, he made that look pretty easy though, I'll say that. Yeah, like Russell, when he was with DC and Atlanta, he scored pretty banger goals like in the past and but this one was probably like the best one you could say of his career yeah it's a i mean you know it's it was nice to see it was a, a much needed goal ended up being the game-winning goal but uh yeah i i think it, he's starting to find his position on the team yeah and like he's he's trying to like when he signed here i didn't expect him to do really well at the start but he's slowly getting there like he's starting to show like slowly that this guy is among the best in the MLS when it comes to playmaking and passing. Yeah. And next season, I expect he'll be better because he's got time to settle in and a training camp and a preseason. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the same with Alessandro Schoff. Like, he hasn't really played over the past few weeks. Mainly, but Vanny's saying he didn't really have a preseason. He didn't play, like, in a while before joining the Whitecaps. And I think they kind of... They kind of overused him at the beginning. With Schaff, I mean, he hadn't played since May. And then they yeah, brought May. him in. It's August. He had a mainly what, a week, a week and a half before they were already putting him in the lineup. Even Sartini admitted, like, we don't want to use him right now. But at that point, they had no other option. So, right. yeah, I mean, Schaff will come into his own. I think he's shown glimpses of it, but it's going to be next year where we're next year. Yeah, next year is when we can really yeah, because he'll have a preseason and training camp under his belt. Exactly. Yeah, and we should also talk about the goal that never was from Brian White. Yep. At first glance, it looked like it went over the line, but VAR checked it. They said no. Yeah. Remember, MLS doesn't have overhead uh, goal line technology like other leagues do, but. If you look at Sarita Patel's camera and like the TSN camera, it looks like it's over the line, but with no overhead video review, it's might be an optical illusion because there's you're so flat. Yeah, there's something called the parallax effect. It's one of those things that if you took the ball and put it so it was just a hair on the line, but the ball is on the ground, you would be able to see, okay, it's no goal. As soon as you take that ball and start moving it up vertically, if you're looking at it on an angle, it looks like it's in because you can see the space of where of where the ball is now hovering above the ground. But it's still not a goal because vertically, nope. it's still over that line. It's something that is used when it comes to the NHL because they have cameras in their posts. So they can right. actually take a look at that because there used to be a few problems with the parallax effect and goal line technology in that sport. It hasn't made its way to the MLS yet, but when I look at this, that's my explanation as to why it wasn't a goal. So, uh, yeah, bone up in your physics there. Yeah, yeah, just more than I think about it, it it, like half the ball was halfway across the line, not completely over it. Again, optical illusion. Yeah, it's one of those things where, yeah, the, the more cameras, the better. I think it would be great if we had cameras put right into the posts. Other sports do it. Why other can't sports stop? do it. Other other leagues do it. The Premier League does it. There you go. But, well, they do even more. They got Hawkeye technology built right into the ball. Yeah. And overall, this game, like, the crowd was into it mainly because it's Seattle and a bunch of Seattle fans came over the border. I mean, they were, not to harp on the Sounders fans, but or kind of I will, but they were louder during the pregame than the actual game. Well... 
I can understand why. I mean, I think yeah. the Sounders came in there in the, to this game with an expectation of that they were going to get a win and they wanted to get that jump really early. Whitecaps came out of the door flying. So, I mean, it, that stifles your crowd. Right. And we've got to talk about, like, the back line again. Like, Veselinovic and Blackman, they were all over, like, the Sounders attack again. Just like what they were good against LA Galaxy. Veselinovic is that guy. I mean, for me right now, he's got to be one of the best players on the team, but he just doesn't get he didn't. The, the coverage that other players do, mainly yeah. because of, of what he plays. He's a center back, so it's not the it's not the flashy role on the team, right? You do your job, you do it effectively, and if you do it effectively, nobody really notices you. Yeah, and I mean, he's, he's a quiet guy, like, off the yes. when I'm talking to him, like, on the pitch, he's quiet, but he just gets the job done. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think we have oh, one stain in yeah, this Yeah, let's match. talk about this. Yeah, unfortunately, we'd have to talk about uh, Andreas Kubas. He left the first half with an, a left uh, adductor injury. Uh, no word on whether or not that means that he's going to be out for a little bit. He was due to join up with the Paraguayan national side. But that's um, not happening. I'm not too sure if that's happened or if it's there's... Not. Some... Uh, yeah, there's not. Okay. So the nice thing is, is he's got a little bit of time to recover here. You know? Yep got about uh, 10 11 days until the next game uh, hopefully uh he's able to be fit and ready to go for the last two yeah left a doctor injury and yeah in the first half like he was like grimacing and he looked, he looked like he was in pain and they rightfully took him off if someone like kubis is coming off you know that it's serious he's not a guy that's going to come yeah. off just for the sake of it yeah and no, no disrespect to leonard Owusu, but he just doesn't have the same impact as He's a different fit of midfielder, right? I mean, you look at Owusu, and he, he deputized well, but I don't see him as being that hard-nosed yeah, defensive midfielder. He's not a guy who can, like, constantly intercept the ball. No. And he almost scored, too. Like, like was like 25 yards out, but it just hit the post? Yeah. Yeah, it was, oh, it was a pretty good try. I mean, at that point of the game, when it was still the, basically 2 nothing, I mean, why not, right? Yeah, like, why not? And um, Julian Gressel rightfully earned a spot on the MLS Team of the Week. Well-deserved for him. So it was a big win over the Seattle Sounders, who are who the Whitecaps actually, in a way, kind of dented their playoff holes, but they're still in it, obviously. Yeah, well, if you take a look at the table, I mean, let's take a look at this yeah, right now. Because this it. moves the Whitecaps from 12th to, to 9th, 9th in the table. And one of those teams that they've climbed over is the Sounders. Whitecaps are sitting a point above the Sounders right now, who are now in 10th. The Whitecaps are three points out of the playoffs. Right now, that's held by the LA Galaxy in 7th. But they're actually tied on points with RSL. RSL, yeah. So, I mean, three points out of a playoff spot, two games to go, two teams you have to overcome. It's not outside of the realm of possibility. It is going to be very, very difficult. But if we were looking at this two games previously, where they had four games left and they were nine points out, the Whitecaps are, are doing something. And, I mean, they're they're making that push. I don't know if it's going to be enough. They have to rely too much on, uh, on the fate of other teams. But, you know, like every game uh, or, you know, a third of their games this season where they score a goal in the last three minutes to either win or tie, they're turning th those games into what their season is now, right? Right now. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of fitting that they leave it to the last few games of the season, and I'm pretty sure everything will come down to decision day like it did last year. Absolutely. Especially when you look uh, that the Whitecaps, their last game is away to Minnesota. Like Minnesota. Minnesota's only in sixth. Yeah, they were like third like a month ago. Yeah. So, I mean, that's I mean, not outside of the out of it uh, as well, right? Right, and their next game is against Austin, who have already clinched a playoff spot. And in that game, they'll likely rest starters because they've already made the playoffs. Yeah. So, they still have a chance. It's like, they have like, a, what, a 4% chance now to make oh, the playoffs? Something like that, yeah. Something like that. <laughs> and it's just, um, you know, it gives you... Last game, two games were like, oh, where was this the last month? Where was this all season type of vibes? Yeah, but you know what? It's nice to see that something is happening. Uh, you know what? When you look at how they've done in the midseason, how they've been able to recover this, 
you always look back to those first eight games of the season, right? And how right. difficult those first eight games were, the level of injuries and COVID and everything that was going on with the team. And you just got to think that if they had the personnel available, were able to pick up two more wins in that, I mean, it would be a different story. Right. And uh, it's like that first few games of the season, uh, it really hurt the squad, the the team like they were like one in eight and there were injuries covid but they were poor remember yeah yeah absolutely so speaking of other M- of uh mls playoffs another canadian team is not going to be in the playoffs this year and that's toronto fc yeah, they got eliminated over the weekend uh, with uh, their latest loss. Uh, so that means that's two years in a row that there's no TFC in the playoffs. Right now, the only Canadian representatives are Montreal, who are doing phenomenal in the West. Yeah, they're good. Or in the East uh, Conference, sitting in second right now, just uh, below Philadelphia, who's leading the league or, uh, in points, actually tied with LAFC on points right now. Yep, and Toronto FC, I mean, they have Insignia, they have Bernadeschi. Uh, Bob Bradley is coach, but at the back and in goal, they're poor. Like Alex Bono has ma- given up some howlers this Just, That was his, or he's got two more games maybe as in a TFC shirt, and then he's gone. That's it. Yeah, I expect Toronto FC to be better next year anyway. Yeah, they will be looking for a goalkeeper, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they lost uh, 4 nothing against uh, Orlando. I know. Yeah, like, That's quite a way to crash out, and... T- like like the White Cats, TFC were bad at the beginning of the season too. They were. I mean, they were really, really struggling. Um, but the thing is, is their struggles. They never really had a period where all of a sudden they really surged. They've kind of just had a few games here and there throughout the season. Nothing that ever really got them got them going. I mean, out of uh, thirty two games, they've lost half of them. Right? They they've lost right. half of their games. They've won nine. That's it. Yeah, and 34 points for Toronto FC this season, while like the Whitecaps have 40 points. And yeah. it's hard to believe, you know, the Whitecaps are actually better than TFC this year. Because remember, well, five years ago, this team won an MLS Cup. It's weird when you look at it because, I mean, they've got 49 goals to their name so far this season, which actually is pretty comparable to some of the uh, higher-up teams in the Eastern Conference. You look at Red Bull, who are sitting in third. They have 47. Orlando has 40. What's killing them is the back end. 61 goals against this season. It's one of the kind of the worst records. I think I think they're third worst in the entire league. So, I mean, they already know. They know absolutely what it is they need to work on. It's the back end. We've already talked about it. We know that Bono back is going to There's going to be changes in that back line. They're In terms of attack... They're solid. Oh, they know solid. what they're doing. They, they can do a job. And once you get um, all those players that they just brought in, a full season. A full season of Insignia. Even better. Yeah. And so. let's go back home for a bit. Caio Alexandre was out on loan with Fortaleza in Brazil. Uh, he played against Fluminense Youth yesterday, I believe. Scored a goal, 85% passing rate. Two dec- uh, decisive passes, two great chances created, um, six interceptions, I believe. It says disarms here. So, guy was doing pretty well in Brazil. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's against sorry youth. Is that is that that's not a that's like a reserve t- side, right? It's uh, that's what it translates to, like Fluminense. Yeah. Which, I mean, I guess it makes sense for, for Alexandre because, I mean, you know, he went so long without playing. He just needs to get match fitness again. And the thing in Brazil is Brazil, you play a massive amount of games. You've got your state league. You've got your national league. If you're in South American football, like the Copa Libertadores, I mean, there's there's a lot going on. So he will get game time. Brazil has big squads. It's just a matter of time. He's got to get his fitness up. Yeah. And he had terrible luck ever since coming to the Whitecaps. Just injury after injury, setback after setback. Yeah. So, I mean, I kind of wish the Whitecaps gave this guy a chance because from when he d- did play for the Whitecaps, he looked all right. He looked good. But I I assume he'd like to stay in Brazil a bit longer. And it seems like that's what he has talked about. He's not looking at this 
like a four month loan. He's looking at this a much longer term. Maybe it's got the White Caps spent like over two million dollars on this guy. Second big most expensive signing in White Caps history behind Lucas Cavallini. I mean, yeah, he had the poor luck, but I wish he was given a better opportunity because right now this kind of looks like a waste of money. Unfortunately, yeah. Um, yeah. I think if he ends up leaving, it's going to be either a deal with uh, who he's with right now uh, on a permanent deal, and that's going to be up to Alexandre to show what he's capable of with uh, with his team in Brazil. But it's going to be at a cut rate. Right. And if he does leave permanently, it's going to look really bad on the Whitecaps. Sometimes things don't work out. I think when it comes to the Whitecaps, this, yeah, I, I, I would be surprised to see him in a Whitecaps shirt again. Let's put it that way. I mean, I like them too, but it's, I just have the feeling he'd want to stay down there in Brazil. I do too. So moving on to the Canadian Premier League, a little, some news here. Uh, there's going to be a new award announced for the team finishes the regular season with the most points, just like the MLS Supporters Shield. It's going to be awarded this season, even though the season's almost over. Yeah, you know what? I have no problem with this trophy. I think it's a good trophy. You know, it's similar to, like you said, the Supporters Shield. Other sports have trophies for their regular seasons as well. Why not the CPL? The one thing that does not make sense to me is the season's almost done. You're adding in a trophy where there's only maybe half of your table that can feasibly compete for it. And your your viewing of this or the reasoning behind adding this trophy was because we want people to take right up to the very last game of the regular season seriously. We want them to be rewarded not only for winning the playoffs, but also the regular season. Right. Half your teams can't even compete for a trophy that you're just adding in right now. Does that really make a whole lot of sense based off your reasoning? I get making the announcement, but make it for a trophy that's added next year. Yeah. I that's mean, it. That's, that's my only thing. I think it's a great idea. It's I a think, good idea, yeah. It's I not mean, executed properly. Good for another for another trophy. and But it would be better if they just had it for next year because there's not a lot of season left. No, not at all. I mean, the, the Canadian Premier League right now, they're, they're already 24, 25 games into it. They only have a 30-odd game schedule. I mean, I don't know. You have a number of teams that are really, really fighting. Like the, the the Premier League, or sorry, yeah, the Canadian Premier League is a very close table. I mean, let's take FC Edmonton out of the running. They're they're done. They're done and dusted. They've won three games out of 25 all season. But everyone else, uh, even the Wanderers you take out, but it, from one to six, yeah, there's possible movement there. Yeah, there is. And yeah. it's just odd, though. Just improving. Oh, we're going to have this trophy for the regular season champion and the season's almost finished. Yeah, I mean, that's my only contention with it is just, yeah, make it for a full season. If it if it is a trophy for the regular season, make it for the entirety of the regular season. That's that's the all I got yeah, to say. That's the only issue. All right, so some Canada news. The roster has been announced for the games against Uruguay and Qatar. Yeah, you know what? It's um, We've kind of been waiting on this for quite a while. It seems like it took a long time for this roster to come out. You were starting to see rosters come out for other uh, other nations over a week ago. Um, it's, a, it's a good roster. I mean, there are some omissions that are understandable. Jonathan Osorio is not in the roster uh, because he's injured right now. There yeah. is rumor that someone like uh, Liam Fraser might get called up uh, to take his spot. But then there are some others that are in this list that I was kind of happy to see. Uh, namely, I was happy that Luca Kalisho is back in the lineup. Uh, yeah. If you guys remember, he was part of the last camp, uh, but the, the one that was marred by the protests over the Iranian game that never happened. And then the, the Canadian players boycotting the next game against Panama over their, uh, their stalled negotiations and contracts. So Kalisho never actually played a game <laughs> yeah but not, and he will this time around yeah i you're gonna definitely see him uh other than that i was happy to see Derek cornelius back up there yep my cap on loan yep uh daniel henry not up there that was uh one that was kind of interesting because he's one of the guys that he kind of brought you to the dance right he was he was a part of the group to get to the world cup you kind of thought that he might be a part of that setup 
Yeah, he can be a loose cannon. You yeah. might get a red card out of him. But I was just wondering if that his work to get to this point might just give him a spot. And I don't know. I think Herdman is telling us that you gotta you gotta continue yourself. And if you're not if you're not showing it now, it's not gonna matter what you did before. Hasn't really looked as good this season with LAFC and Toronto FC. Also. Yeah, he was dropped by LA and picked up by Toronto. But Toronto. I mean, again, we we can tell you what that back line's been doing already. So, yeah. Oh, Ismail Kone makes the makes the squad. Yep, uh, Kone's back up. He's uh, already uh, come on as a sub for Canada before. Uh, Kone, yeah. uh, I mean, he was a lot of talk about him over the summer about a potential move to England. Places yeah, like to, Norwich were looking Norwich, at him. A but few that never others. happened. Never materialized, but he is the guy that teams are still looking at it's going to happen if not this january transfer window possibly in the summer right and also interesting this they list alfonso davies as a defender well that's what he is for his club but for country he plays up front yeah for country he's going to be uh further up you know that he's going to be playing in front of a player like atacube or if you got uh you know you got lorea or johnston that can also play those fullback roles yeah. so yeah, it's going to happen. Joel Waterman is also another guy that was interesting pick. Yeah. Waterman's, uh, you know, you saw him, like, his progression to get to the national team is a hell of a story. So, uh, yeah, I think it's it's a good lineup uh, in terms of white cap presence. Lucas Cavallini is there. Yeah, uh, There was some talk about whether or not uh, his seeing red moment for stomping on the head of a, another player might... Uh, give John Herdman a second look or a, or a but pause there. on him, but he is there. Yeah, and he's the only current white cap with a national team. Well, if you count Cornelius, who is on loan. Yeah, that too, right? But uh, yeah, we've got games coming up against uh, Ketter and Uruguay. Uruguay, uh, yeah. Uruguay is going to be a really big test. Uh, you're you're going to be playing against some you know big, big players in the world. Uh, and that's just for this window. They also have their final tune-up game just before the World Cup that will be against Japan. But that'll be uh, later on in October. Yeah, and then the World Cup starts in November, and they'll first play Kevin De Bruyne and Belgium. There you go. So, also should mention, Tom Holmes is not eligible for Canada, despite his grandparents being born in Canada. Yeah, that, But it's not enough to qualify for a Canadian passport. FIFA rules allow you to choose your, na- your who you're going to represent national or nationally up to the point of your grandparents' nationality. So that's why yeah. player there are some players around the world that have multiple choices, right? Right. When it comes to this one player, he plays for Reading right now in the championship in England. But while his grandparents are Canadian, Canadian but he was born in London. Exactly, and the, the you can the same thing with his, with his parents as well. So I guess so it kind of makes he sense. He is not eligible based on Canada's rules, which I mean, nations overrule organizations. There you go. Yeah, and I guess it kind of makes sense because you know he was born in in London, England, not London, Ontario, by the way, London, England. London, England. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those ones where it, it'd be really nice because I know that the uh, the Canadian national side has been doing a lot of work at looking at all of these players around the world about who might qualify for Canada yeah, dual national. that haven't played for other nations yet. Like dual nationalities. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, yeah, this one just didn't work out. So, you know, so, move on to the next. On. Yeah, it's understandable. Yeah. All right, let's move over to the European side. Since Chelsea's off, uh, let's talk about some more off stuff, off-the-pitch stuff. They really wanted Christopher Freund as their next sporting director. He is from the current like sporting director at RB Salzburg, who was responsible for big sales like Holland, Mane, and all that. And he, apparently, he didn't want to go to Chelsea, which I get. I guess is understandable because Chelsea were interested in the guy, and he's doing fine at RB Salzburg. So I guess Chelsea will move on the next candidate and he's a guy he's also, who was... I mean he's also part of that whole big Red Bull setup so I mean he can be looking elsewhere about possibly moving over to Leipzig or whatnot I mean he's got options yeah and 
it's kind of skeptical that they want a guy that who's responsible for selling big names. Like Chelsea's not a selling club. Like it's fair that you buy players and oh, of course the academy's there too and win trophies. So moving on. Do you think that has to do with Todd Bowley though approaching this more like an American businessman where he's looking at players as assets where you can bring in players, grow them, raise their value, sell them. Maybe. And Bowley has talked about trying to have like a, you know, like the Red Bull setup, like with Leipzig, Salzburg, New York Red Bulls, like having all connected in terms of academies and all that. I think that's another reason why he wanted Ferrand. Well, I mean, there is rumor that Todd Bowley is looking at buying a club in Portugal, so who knows? Yeah. And I guess, yeah, it is understandable why I'd want to go to Chelsea. It's comfortable there. And the search will continue. Yeah, he said Chelsea were interested when a big club honors, club asks, it only honors me in the work of FCR Red Bull Salzburg. That, you know, he also says the conclusion that. He's in good hands with RB Salzburg. Yeah, that's fair. Hey, even even sporting directors are rejecting Chelsea. I mean, I guess isn't there's no rush? Just find the right guy or or woman. Yeah. Uh, here's some a little controversial Chelsea news. Their senior um, co- uh, executive or commercial director has been fired over some inappropriate messages sent to a female football agent. So the agent in question was a Korean woman named Catalina Kim, who is also the founder and chief executive of CNP Sports Group, who was interested in buying Chelsea over the spring and the summer. And he has apparently sent her some pretty inappropriate messages and i'm just looking at it here i mean this is a guy that's got to be on record for one of the fastest chelsea firings ever he was in the job for about what a month yeah (laughs) and um apparently it wasn't just messages there was some video that was very sexually harassing and catalina kim has confirmed that she, she made the complaint to tom Glick, who is the new CEO, president in business, and her, she even said that Willoughby has been doing this for like over two years, including a recent threatening phone call. She is. She says, I strongly believe this is not a work environment and corporate culture that any Premier League would tolerate. And Chelsea, good on them, they were just swift to fire the guy, and they put out a statement saying that this is unacceptable, and this is not... Um, not what we stand for. This is not a good workplace culture, and we're getting rid of him. Fair enough. So good, good on the club for acting so quickly. But let's talk a little bit about the Chelsea women who started their season. Two-one loss to Liverpool, and it's a game of all penalties. All like all pen all the goals scored were penalties, and Chelsea did well in this game. Like Frank Kirby. Scored an early penalty, and then Katie Stingell scored two second half penalties for Liverpool. I mean, seventy percent possession for Chelsea, four shots on target, ten in total. But it it just wasn't. They weren't like I guess like the men's team weren't clinical enough, and only like it's just bizarre that all the goals scored in this game were. Or penalties. That is strange. So, it's, I guess uh, on both sides, they weren't clinical enough. But I didn't really see much of this game. I just saw like the condensed highlights. So, it's just a... Not the start you want from the women. And it could, it could have been much better. I know Emma Hayes will motivate them to be even better in their next game. Against the Manchester City women on... Sunday, I mean, 70% possession is good, but... It's, it's what it's, you do with it. It's what you do with it. They only had four shots on target. I mean, Liverpool only had two. Yikes. So, it kind of was a dull game, even though Chelsea played well. And, 
tough start for the two-time reigning champions. So, and hopefully the next game will be even better for them. So Tottenham did play over the weekend, and Hudeman's son got the monkey off his back. Yeah, finally, it was a six-two win over uh, over Leicester. Um, yeah, I mean, going into the half, it was it was tied at two-two. It was a uh, kind of a strong half for both sides. Leicester definitely deserved their two goals. Uh, James Madison had a phenomenal game in my mind, but uh, yeah. Sun Yu Min came in about the half hour mark and ended up getting a hat trick all in the second uh, second half. I think he's the only Premier League or he's the only Tottenham player who's ever come in for a second half replacement and got a hat trick. And his hat trick was in just over 13 minutes. 13 minutes, three goals. Yep. Uh, also had goals. Uh, Harry Kane, you know, yep. gets his one because it's Leicester and that's what he does. He scores against Leicester. He averages a goal against Leicester every 69 minutes. So, I mean... I think that's now that's nice. over 20 goals against the, against the team. And this is a team that when he was younger, he actually went out on loan four and couldn't even get into the squad. <laughs> we also had goals from Eric Dyer and uh, Roberto uh, Bentancourt. So Dyer and Kane, two of the Tottenham players that are called up to the England side, both scoring. So it was nice to see. They're now tied for the best start of a Hotspur side in the Premier League. 17 points off of seven games. So if they can keep this up, I mean, this is exactly what it is they're looking for. They're still tied for second with Man City, keeping pace with them. Arsenal has still got a point above uh, both of those guys with 18 and sitting in first. But I think right now, Tottenham should be happy with what happened against Leicester because in the beginning of the season, they were finding ways to win and draw while they weren't necessarily playing their best. Now that Sun hopefully has kind of found his form, we'll have to see if this is going to be consistent. But there was a lot more ease in how this win happened. Yes, Leicester is having an astronomically horrible horrible start, start their to season. The defending is on their side is terrible. Haven't won a game. They've got nope. one point from a draw. Their goals against is crazy. I mean, six goals uh, that they shipped uh, behind them from uh, from Tottenham. The game before that, they shipped in five goals. I mean, it's it's pretty bad. I mean, you got to look at Brendan Rodgers and got to think that this is the guy that's worried for his job right now. Yeah, it's only a matter of time. Uh, right now, if, it is. Uh, if they when lose, not if if they lose their next game, he's got to be gone. I, I I respect Rodgers. I think he does a good job, but I don't know what it is. I know he's been very frustrated over the fact that Leicester didn't really bring in anyone. They lost their starting goalkeeper. They've lost uh, a few other players, and they haven't really brought anyone to replace them. So, yeah, we'll have to see uh, whether or not they can uh, turn it around. But for Tottenham, right now, it's all roses. They've still uh, got uh, the Champions League to worry about, so that'll be coming up against. I think their next game is Eintracht uh, Frankfurt. Yep, uh, the winners. winners of Europa last year. Right. Uh, other than that, off news, we have Jeff Viterra has just been hired as a new scout. He's been tasked with uh, looking at youth and also international overseas talents. Uh, this is a guy, he hasn't really worked uh, for the past couple of years, but it's a guy that Paratici really wanted. And this again goes to with uh, Paratici's whole reforming the scouting department at, at uh, Tottenham, which before the sporting director came in had really, really fallen behind. There was a lot of positions that just didn't exist. There was no head of uh, head of recruitment. A lot of the scouts had left. So this is, again, them looking at adding and bolstering those areas and kind of expanding their reach. So it was really nice. Uh, Viterra uh, formerly uh, was working with Real Madrid. He has worked with uh, Premier League clubs in the past. He's got... He's got those connections, and he's got those connections, especially when it comes to overseas and places like South America and elsewhere. So, yeah, definitely a good uh, a good signing. And, uh, again, another one of those kind of astute backroom signings. I mean, I talked earlier about uh, how I think one of the best signings for uh, Tottenham this year was uh, uh, Geo – oh, what was it? Geo – their their new uh, corner uh, or their their new yeah yeah coach. I know who you're talking about yeah I the name's uh, escaping me right now yeah me too but uh, I mean five of Tottenham's goals in the seven games have come off corner corners they've had a number also off free kicks the rumor is is this guy's got a playbook 
with 3,000 different ways on how to take a corner. I think that's got to be hyperbole, but I mean, we're seeing a change in what is happening. And, you know, it's we're getting very, very quick returns off this uh, off this new coach. So the the fact that Paratici is looking at reforming, reforming either the coaching or reforming the front office or looking at scouting, that says more to what how big his hand is in in this club rather than just the product on the pitch. So I'm really, really happy to see things like that. Uh, you were talking about Chelsea women. Uh, Tottenham women played as well their first game of the season. They came up with a 2-1 win again over Leicester. Uh, so uh, good. Uh, goals from uh, Neville and Spence. And uh, Leicester's only goal was uh, a known goal. So, you know, there you go with that as well. Uh, again, you know, uh, Tottenham uh, really, you know, really showed themselves uh, doing really well. About 60% possession. Nine shots, four on target, uh, almost doubling the number of passes of Leicester, and uh, just playing a smart game. Now, again, this was a game where Leicester frustrated Tottenham for large portions of the game. You know, it took a while for them to really, really kind of get get their teeth into it, but you know, it paid off. Coming out with a, a win for the first game of the season is definitely uh, nothing to uh, nothing to be uh, worried about, and also. Start for a Canadian player, Shalina Zagorski, yeah. on the back line for Tottenham, uh, captain of the Tottenham team. So it was nice to see that as well. Other than that, uh, news out of uh, uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium has been, uh, there's a couple of other interesting stories. And uh, we'll talk about them right now. Uh, they are part of the bid by the UK and Ireland for games in the Euro 28 tournament. Uh, they're, they've included... Tottenham is one of the potential stadiums where these games could take place. But there's some glaring omissions from this list. Strat- uh, Stratford is not part of this list. The uh, the Emirates, not part of this list. Nope. But you have stadiums like Stadium MK, where uh, MK Dons play. Everton's brand new stadium, which isn't even built, is a part of this. So it's, it's kind of strange when you take a look at... Uh, what want, is in this list and what is not? I guess they want newer stadiums. Yeah, I mean, I get it. But, I mean, I think they're taking a bit of a risk and hoping that Everton Stadium is done on time. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, yeah, other than that, the other thing that's kind of interesting is the fact that uh, Tottenham, or not Tottenham, but England and Wales are making a pretty audacious bid to be the hosts of the 2026 Men's Hockey World Cup with the final of the tournament to be played at Tottenham, at Tottenham Hotspur, Hotspur Stadium, Stadium converted into a hockey rink. Field, yeah, field hockey rink. Not, yeah. not, not ice. No, no, but still, uh, the fact uh, field hockey, it's uh, pretty interesting. I mean, it's there is field hockey when it comes to England, but it's not really what they're known for. So it is kind of interesting to see that they're looking at these other areas. Um, again, you know, they're up there with a, a bunch of other uh, countries that are really, really pushing for it. Uruguay, South Africa, Australia, Germany, South Africa. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Other than that, right now, like I said, Tottenham, yeah, it's looking good right now. 70 points, seven games, sitting tied for second. And, uh, yeah, best start to their uh, Premier League history. Yeah. Looking really good for Tottenham so far. Yeah. Moving on to other news, uh, some, uh, kind of a little bit of a Tottenham attachment. Eric Dyer has been talking uh, recently in the media about fan behavior. Uh, if we remember last year, uh, Dyer actually went into the crowd at Stamford Bridge, I believe it was at, after his brother was being abused by Chelsea fans. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he's actually talked about how he doesn't feel comfortable with his family actually traveling to away games. And he's saying that this is not to do with Chelsea. This has to do with no matter where it is, whether it's uh, domestic English football, whether it's uh, him being called up to uh, the English side. Uh, he, yeah. He's, and he said that Tottenham is also no different as well, that there is a change in fan behavior where fan attacks, whether they're verbal or physical, not only on players, but on the families of players, are starting to become very, very worrying. Yeah, I mean, especially in England, fans can get really hostile. I mean, I, it's, 
can't blame him. Like, his family won't travel to away matches because England, like, football fans can get really crazy. And people forget that these the players have families too and that they're human. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, we're starting to see this with other things too. I mean, we've, earlier this season, we were talking about, you know, certain coaches even being on the receiving end of death threats. We saw even like videos where they're not really, you know, they're not contentious. Like the one guy that was yelling at Holland across the street saying, hey, you went to the wrong Manchester team. I mean, these are just guys going about their day, right? Right. Just leave them alone. Watch them for what they offer you on the pitch and then go about your life. I don't know. When I, you see these sort of behaviors, it, it kind of makes you wonder, you know, where the, where parents failed uh, for yeah. these fans. It makes you wonder that too. Yeah. Like maybe uh, there, really. Yeah. Uh, Mexico head coach Tata Martino has said that Chicharito and Carlos Vela will not be part of the squad going uh, forward for the uh, Mexican uh, national side in the World Cup. Yeah. That what do you is, make that? That's quite surprising, especially Vela Vela. understandable. He basically ruled himself out of contention. But Chicharito. I know. like Isn't he like the face of the, the Mexican national team? It makes you wonder. I'm wondering, is he the face of the Mexican national team or is he the face of the Mexican national team in the United States? Maybe that's a good question, right? Because of what he does with the galaxy. Yeah, and they're going with other forwards: Raúl Jiménez, Rogelio Funes Mori, Henry Martín, and Santiago Jiménez. Yeah, you know what? Great players. Uh, Jiménez will definitely play, but it it is surprised where you've got these. And Vela, I'll I'll take him out of the running. I mean, that one makes sense to me. But Chicharito is a guy that I am surprised because he's also a guy that. He's, he does seem to have a lot of pull in Mexico, even if he might not be yeah. the face of the team in Mexico. But, yeah, it just, I don't know. When it comes to the Mexican national side, there's always been a lot of questions. And a lot of those questions seem to be because of strange things that Tata does. Yeah. I mean, it, it is quite strange. The Vela, I kind of know. I thought he'd be going in the World Cup, but he pretty much ruled himself out. Yeah, I don't think he's really been a part of the setup uh, with Mexico for uh, a number of years already. Yeah, but, but you know, it's the World Cup. You know, you, people might come out. I mean, even Ibrahimovic for Sweden was talking about coming out of retirement. Just for the sake, yeah. Yeah, right? So, I mean, Chicharito has been one of the most successful Mexican players of all time. Maybe they want the next generation to take over. And I get that. I mean, having the next generation take over is good. It does make you wonder because you are allowed expanded squads at this World Cup. Would his experience not have helped? Yeah, 34, but it's good to have experience in the World Cup. Yeah, an interesting decision. It'll be interesting to see what Mexico is able to do with with some of their new blood. Yeah, Raul Jimenez is pretty good, but he's dealing with a groin injury right now. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I take both. If I was charging the Mexican national team, but yeah, Vela's ruled himself out. Just, yeah, I guess no. he doesn't want to. Who knows? They've got a, a couple of months to uh, to uh, decide if they want to change their minds. I guess. Yeah. So former PSG and Tottenham manager Mauricio Pochettino is set for talks with Nice after they fired Lucien Favre. Yeah, you know what? It's uh, I mean Nice. Okay, side. Uh, not uh, a side that you really think a whole lot of uh, about. But, uh, I mean, Patichano, he's been out of a job for for a little bit. If he's yeah, looking to get back in, this is definitely a place to do it. There's also been talk that he might be rumored uh, for Leicester if they decide to get rid of Brendan Rodgers. So who knows if he wants to wait to go back to the Premier League. Yeah. The Maybe. one thing that is interesting is it is rumored that he that he has said that if he does sign with Nice, the first player that he wants to bring in is Hugo Lloris. So, who knows? Yeah, who knows? And maybe a smaller side could be better for him because he has his moments with PSG and Tottenham, but things just end pretty poorly. With Tottenham, it's always a tough one. I mean, he had Tottenham punching above their weight. Let's be honest. At the time of where Tottenham was, he had them punching above their weight. Tottenham has, I think, progressed beyond 
where Mauricio is. Uh, with PSG, that one might be a little bit more difficult. He kind of, he didn't lose anything with PSG, but he didn't gain anything with them either. PSG wants to do well in the Champions League, something they've never won. The league for them is not a concern. They There's the expectation that they're going to win it every time, and Padachano did that. He also won, uh, you know, like uh, the... The, the the different uh, domestic uh, trophies and stuff like that. I yeah. Nice might be a good fit for him because I think it'll allow him to be more expressive. Yeah, more experimental too. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I think it's going to be. A, I think it'll be a good move for him. Just stay away from Larice. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, less less pressure. I mean, he'll have um, less of a yeah. Again, less pressure more time to experiment and express himself. So I think a, a club like Nice w- will be better for him. Yeah. Nice right now, they're sitting in uh, 13th in Ligue 1. Uh, a couple of wins, a couple of draws, four losses. Uh, there's definitely a possibility for movement. But again, you've got uh, PSG and Marseille. They're already running away with this league. So, uh, But if you can get Nice to be a top 10 side in the first year, top eight. I think you could uh, call that a success. Yeah. To- like top 10 would be a yeah. success. I mean, uh, you know, it's an interesting team. I mean, they've got uh, Pepe on loan right now. Caster's right. Michael, that's where he went from last Cast- year. Aaron yep. Ramsey's there. I mean, there are people within this squad that you can do something. <laughs> they even picked up Ross Barkley. Yeah, they did on a free. Yeah. So, yeah, interesting uh, side. Definitely uh, something to, to work with and to grow from. Uh, again, it's going to be uh, Paracano kind of rebuilding his reputation a little bit. But, yeah, especially I mean, after what went down with PSG. Yeah, he's he done it before. Ugly. I think Nice is an interesting side to do it with. It's a project. I think he's a guy that's up for it. Yeah. Juventus, I mean, we talked about this before, that their decline was a... Years in the making, it was inevitable that Cristiano Ronaldo signing for them was the beginning of the end. But this year, they are struggling. Like, they haven't They're, won since August 31st. I mean, they are struggling. They've only lost one game this season so far. A, a lot of their games are end up in draws. But the reason why they're struggling is not from the back end. It's the attack. It's, it's the attack. They cannot score. I know. Every time I watch them, they just can't score. Like, Vlaovic... I mean, he's good, but you need more than that. Yeah. But, I mean, you've got uh, good guys there. Like, Avlovich is a great guy. Tottenham was looking at him for uh, quite a while as well. Federico Chiesa, pretty good. Right? Angel Di Maria, who's least PSG, but he's still a pretty good player. Not only that, but Kostic. Yep, American Weston McKinney. Yeah. So, this is a team that should not be uh, struggling as much as they are, right? Uh, right. I don't think Allegri is necessarily the problem. No, but I think he'll take the fall. I think he'll take the fall. I mean, yeah. this guy won four straight Serie A titles with them in his first spell. Left yeah, but he also hero. did it having uh, Paratici as a sporting director back then. Yeah, and now in his second spell, he's seen as the villain. So yeah, you live long enough to to be a hero or or. You either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself as a villain. Uh, Dark Knight, right? <laughs> that's that's Allegri right now. Yeah, it pretty much is. I mean, uh, Juvent- Juventus, just looking at where they are, two wins, four draws, one loss, eighth in the Serie A table, which is not where they should be. And in the Champions League, lost to Benfica and PSG in the first two games. PSG, yeah. I mean, it's PSG, but Benfica. Benfica's a good team. They're Benfica, a good team, but they should beat a team like Benfica. Or at least they should, but Benfica is deceptive. I mean, yes, we think, oh, it's Portuguese uh, football. Those teams aren't like big as big as the Giants. Benfica's won it before. Yeah, they did, but... Yes, and I know it's been a number of years, but the thing is, is I don't think they've ever gone away from their capability if they really if they really uh you know decide to to be something benfica can be a giant killer yeah they are they have in the yep. past and not just their attack but their midfield like it's 
looks very mediocre. Yeah, and and that's players cool. are not um, up to have a uh, just not performing right now. And they shouldn't be uh, like that. I mean, they've got so much quality in that side. There should be something going on that's a lot better. Yeah, and Allegro is known for being a tactical guy, but I guess his tactics just don't work. Yeah. So. But the thing is, is, now here's my question, is who do you bring in? I don't know. Dougal. He's like the best manager available. Yeah, I don't know. But I don't know if, um, I mean... Possession is Tuchel's specialty, and defending is. They're good at the back, but they need someone who, is, who can bring an attacking spark. Yeah, I don't no, know I if Tuchel's the best fit for Juventus. I mean, he's the guy that they might go just because he's the name that might excite fans. Yeah. But yeah, ex- for the exact reasons you just said, I don't know if he's the guy that they necessarily need. Speaking of um, big clubs struggling, Bayern Munich are doing really well in the Champions League. But in Bundesliga, they're... Could be better. Like they lost their last game to Augsburg. I know. I know. It's just it's strange to see that right now they're sitting in fifth in the Bundesliga. Union Berlin is still five two and zero. Oh. Union Berlin recently promoted Bundesliga team. I know. I mean, you think Ber- you think Berlin? You think Hertha? Hertha? Yeah, but not Union. Team. Yeah, I mean, the Bayern's doing pretty well in the Champions League. Like. Wins over Inter and Barcelona. Yeah. But in the Bundesliga, lost to Augsburg, drew to Stuttgart, drew to Union Berlin. And just looking here, they apparently Julian Nagelsmann's job is on the line. I get it. I mean, I get it. It is Bayern Munich. Like it's Bayern Munich. If you're not in first, you're fired. It's the same thing like PSG. It's like uh, when Chelsea finished second in one in the season and they fired. Yeah, the fired Ancelotti. They finished second. Yeah, they won the trophy. I don't there. necessarily agree with it. You but give Bayern one win. That one win could almost you know could feed, theoretically move them to second, right? I mean, yeah. it's it's. I think it's too early. I think it's too early. I think Nagelsmann is a good manager. I, I think you lost a massive piece in losing Lewandowski. You brought in Mane, but you still got to figure things out. Right. And, like, Bayern Munich are a giant. One of the best clubs in the world. Have been for many, many years. But losing Lewandowski hurts. Because the guy is an absolute machine at scoring goals. Mane is up front. I mean, he's done well, and Liverpool really miss him. Like, Nagelsmann has him as in a 4-2-3-1 with Mane up front. So, maybe it's just the early season struggles, but if this continues, Nagelsmann might be shown the door. Yeah, uh, again, uh, that's uh, another manager that I think any team would be absolutely ecstatic to snap up. So, I don't think he'd be uh, without a job for long. Yeah, and a name they've been linked to is Tuchel. If not, again, yeah. again, could work. I mean, he's back in the Bundesliga. Um, back I mean, right now, territory. if you look at Bayern, I mean, Bayern is not hurting for scoring goals. They've got the most goals in the entire league at 19. And they're also not hurting in protecting their net, right? No, they're, they're averaging less than a goal a game. Against. I don't know what it is. It's, it's just, it's moments in specific games. Right, you score a ton of goals in one game, but then very little in the next. Yeah, it's consistency. Yeah, with Bayern Munich, I don't see Nagelsmann getting the boot anytime soon. But one win can really change things. It can, it can. Right now, I think this is fan grumblings. I don't think he is uh, as close as Allegri is. Allegri is Allegri is on thin ice. It's, it's the front office looking at that as well, but it's. It's interesting when you look at some of these uh, big, big names, big, big clubs that are just not having the the best start to the to the season. I mean, you can and remember it's only it's the only Premier League happen. in Liverpool. I mean, look at their struggles at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool is starting to pick it up a little bit. So we'll see how that goes for Bayern and Juventus. Though so I think Juventus is a team that can really struggle for the rest of the season. They. They could. I mean, I mean, look at what happened when uh, 
you know, in the previous years before Allegri came in, they were still struggling. So who knows? Yeah. Who knows? And we'll end it with a cool note. EA Sports' newest FIFA game, FIFA 23, which will be the last game to be called FIFA, includes fictional club AFC Richmond, which is the club Ted Lasso manages. Yeah, they've got a, v- a video out right now, basically a 30-second advertising spot that just came out. Uh, it's got a number of the players, uh, obviously uh, Jason Sudeikis uh, reprising his role a little bit. They've got a few uh, Premier League uh, players, uh, Ian Wright, uh, Jack Grealish, uh, Wayne Rooney are a part of it, you know, you know, talking about going up against Ted Lasso and stuff like that. Kind of quirky, yeah. kind of fun, but you know what? This is something that EA Sports is kind of known for adding into their FIFA games is like these kind of fantasy ideas, whether it is a historical team or in this case, a fictional team. Yeah, kind of an interesting thing. I'm not a FIFA guy, like I've said before, but no, I I'm, think it's... I'm a FIFA guy, but I still I still play on 21. Yeah, but, I, you know, it's a nice nod. So yeah, kind of people are saying, fun. oh, we didn't ask for this. I'm like, yeah, I get it. And there are things that EA need to improve, like their um, AI, the career mode, um morale they need to improve on stuff like that but it's it's nice to have ted lasso in the game you, you know? know what when we're talking about improving like a morale or how players uh act or the ai those are the exact same arguments that are made against football manager so yeah. i mean you're not going to suit everyone but it's not like they don't make changes every year in the back you know to the back end they do but right? they're very very minor yeah and like i i'm tired of like when I'm playing career mode, having I'm tired of just having a star player out of the blue three days before the window ends ask for transfers for no reason. <laughs> or um, a guy asks for, can, can, he, can I have a contract extension? Just refuses and drags out a saga for months in the game. And then he signs with like a lower league team for less money. Yeah, well, the homesick thing. Like, oh, homesick, player from England. Man, that's football manager as well. I'm like, what do you mean homesick? You've been away from your home for 20 years. Yeah. I mean, you're having players like Cesar Azpilicueta be homesick. Like, you've been yeah. at Chelsea for 10 years. Yeah, I know. There are things like that that kind of boggle the mind. But then at the end of the day, you got to remember, it's a video game. It's a video game. They're not perfect. It's not like a. It's not like you're simulating real life here. Yeah, exactly. One thing they did get right, though, when I was playing my Chelsea career mode, I tried to sign Sterling. My opening bid was $50 million. Man City accepted. Really? Which is exactly yeah. his transfer fee. In real life. There you go. So I guess EA does have some realism. <laughs> but other than that, EA Sports is in the game. There you go. All right, so that concludes this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Tell us what we're doing right. Tell us what we're doing wrong. Fifth Episode 50 is coming up next week. When we've been doing this for less than a year, only took, like, what, three weeks off? And we're almost at 50 episodes? Yeah, not bad, eh? I know. Like, I, I can't believe it. We're almost at 50. Time's flown. Like we uh we were at a, an event yesterday uh for the the Canadian Premier League and they were kind of asking about the show and then you start to think about it and you're like yeah I guess we've been doing this about a year. Yeah, but I told Dan Riccio and Big Nazar that oh my God we're almost at fifty episodes. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they said the people who stay in this business are the ones who do it consistently. There you go. So I I mean I guess the show's growing thanks to you guys and so is the Area Fifty One Sports Network again thanks to you guys. Thanks for spreading out the word. And follow me on Twitter at JoshRay91 if you haven't. Nathan is at Enduric. And um, follow the show at Terminal City FC. Check out the Facebook and Instagram pages. And yeah, your feedback and constructive criticism is always welcome. Always. So that concludes this week's episode. Peace out. Take care.